Lord Jesus, pray that you would open up your word to us this morning and help us to learn to wait on you with patience. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. <coughs> Last year when my wife and I were on vacation in California, I was on my way to meet with an old friend and I was running late and I was standing at a stoplight waiting to cross, but the light just wasn't changing quickly enough. Now, normally in a situation like that, I act very patiently because I never know when one of you might be watching me. But I wasn't in Bellevue, so I was feeling very free, and I started to impatiently push the button over and over again when this nice older woman standing next to me said, you can't make it change any faster. You're just going to have to wait a minute, Scott. She was from my former church. You're everywhere watching me, watching me. I hate to wait. It is my idea of hell. I'm the guy who sits there drumming my fingers when the computer's booting up saying, come on, come on, I got things to do. At the checkout stand in the grocery store, I have my credit card ready by the time I hit the line, which is just proper shopping etiquette, right? None of this waiting for the cashier to finish ringing you up and then you pull out your wallet. And then just a minute, I got exact change here somewhere, right? That should be illegal. And we give speeding tickets. How about dawdling tickets as well? I hate to wait. And some of that is amusing, but some of that makes me a stress case and on occasion can turn me into a very rude person. But it is hard to learn to wait with peace for me. Because like you, I am part of a microwave oven, fast-acting Tylenol, high-speed internet culture that does not like to wait even for the little things. And it's that much more difficult to wait for those things that are actually painful to wait for. Those things that seem good and right and that we pray for over and over again and they don't seem to come. Some of you today may have serious health concerns and you are waiting for healing. Or maybe you're waiting for a difficult marriage to get better. Or for reconciliation between you and a parent or you and a friend or a or a child. Maybe you're single and waiting for a spouse, or you're married and you're waiting to have children and God doesn't seem to answer that prayer. Waiting can be very, very painful. And as we wait, it can seem a lot of times like God is slow as molasses in January. Today's the first Sunday of Advent. That's the four-week season that the church has set aside to help us prepare for Christmas. And it is a season that is all about waiting in a lot of ways. It's a time of waiting for Christmas to come so we can celebrate the birth of Christ. It's also a time where we remember that Jesus is coming back again and we are still waiting for that. You know, in a lot of ways, Christmas is just about waiting. And ask my six-year-old daughter, who has been waiting since July to open her presents. Honest, right after the 4th of July, she started talking about Christmas. There's a lot of waiting in the Christmas story in the Bible. When Jesus is born, Israel had been waiting 500 years for the Messiah to show up. In fact, there's just a lot of waiting in general in the Bible. Abraham waits 25 years to get the son that God promised him. It was especially tough for him because he was 75 years old when he got the promise. So you try that. The Israelites spend 400 years as slaves in Egypt waiting for God to deliver them until Moses comes along and finally does the job. 
There is a lot of waiting in the Bible. But contrary to what our culture would tell us and what I sort of feel, waiting actually isn't all bad. In fact, waiting has been too good for too many people for too long to be all bad. There's some good things that come from waiting, and that's why God asks us to do it from time to time. For starters, waiting helps us get closer to God. Ever notice how when you're really waiting for something important, you pray more, you read scripture more? I don't know, maybe you listen to sermons more carefully? I don't know. Because we're trying to hang on to God. Waiting helps us get closer to God. Second thing waiting does for us is it gets us off our agenda and it gets us on to God's agenda, which is always better. In the passage we read out of Acts, Jesus has just been raised from the dead, which the disciples find pretty impressive. And he tells them, don't do anything. Wait until the Holy Spirit comes and then you'll have power to be my witnesses. Don't do anything. Wait. And what's the next thing they say? Jesus, are you going to restore the kingdom to Israel? In other words, are you going to kick out the Romans now? Because that's what we want you to do. And we've been waiting. So come on, let's go. Ever do that? Ever say to God, here's what I want and I want it now. So could I please have it? When we do that, when we're not willing to wait, when we say, come on, God, now's the right time. What we're really saying to God is I want my agenda, not yours. And that usually makes a mess of things which is what happens in this story with the disciples. Instead of waiting for the Holy Spirit, like Jesus told them to do, the next thing they do is they decide they need to find a replacement disciple for Judas, who betrayed Jesus. Now, Jesus didn't tell them to do that. They just sort of thought, we need a replacement disciple. So the way they choose it, they they decide, well, we don't know how to do this, so we'll just cast lots, kind of flip a coin. Now, that's okay, but one of the things the Holy Spirit does for us is gives us guidance when we need it. So if they just waited, like Jesus had said, for the Holy Spirit, they might have been able to make a more spiritual decision than just flipping a coin. And they end up choosing this guy named Matthias to be the replacement disciple. And do you know what Matthias goes on to do from here? Absolutely nothing. This is the one time we hear of Matthias. This is his 30 seconds of fame right here. We never hear from him again. Now, as the book of Acts goes on, just a few chapters later, we discover that God had someone else in mind to be the replacement disciple. His name was the Apostle Paul, who spread Christianity all the way to the ends of the earth, just like Jesus had predicted. Paul, not Matthias, was supposed to be the replacement disciple. Now, I'm sure no harm was done. I'm sure Matthias had a fine life from here, and you know, maybe he got to go to some special disciple's retirement home when he was done doing whatever he he didn't do. But had the disciples just waited, they might have seen God's plan a little more clearly. When we don't wait, we get on our agenda, not God's, and that usually makes a mess of things. I had a friend in college who was convinced that my best friend was supposed to marry her. In fact, she even said to him, God told me that we're supposed to get married. The only problem was God didn't CC him on the memo. And it freaked him out, go figure. So he started avoiding her in case the next time he saw her, she said, oh, and by the way, we're going to have ten kids too. She ended up marrying someone else. She couldn't wait for God to give her a spouse, so she took matters into her own hands, kind of made a mess of things. That's what happens when we don't wait on God's timing. We just got to trust him, that he knows the best timing for everything. Whenever we go to California to see my wife's family, we usually drive. 
And of course, we get the inevitable, are we there yet, from our three kids in the back seat, right? Which we figure is actually sort of good for them. Like we, we, we think every kid should have memories of endless road trips. It's sort of an American rite of passage. We think it's good for... See, this is why my wife and I believe we need a college fund and a therapy fund for our kids. We're going to need both, right? Now, from their perspective, I'm sure it's taken forever. When you're only three years old, a whole day in the car feels like a big percentage of your life. And from the tiny backseat window, I'm sure it doesn't look like we're making any progress, especially since most of I-5 looks exactly the same. But my wife and I know where we're going, and we know the best, quickest, safest way to get there. And even if we were to pull out a map and try to explain it to them, they wouldn't understand anyway. So they just have to trust that we know where we're going. In this journey called life, God has the map. And he could show it to us, but we wouldn't understand it anyway. But when we wait on him and let him do the driving, we get on his agenda, not ours, which is always better, him being God and all. Waiting helps us get closer to God. It gets us on God's agenda, not on ours. The third thing that waiting does is it teaches us to let go of good so that God can give us better. The author Ben Patterson tells the story of waiting for five years for his wife to marry him. He said when they finally did get married, it was better because they both matured a lot more and a lot more than they would have otherwise, and their marriage was stronger for it. At the end of all that, he writes, I thank God for all the times I've prayed for silver, and God said no, and made me wait so that he could give me gold instead. Waiting gets us closer to God. It puts us on his agenda, not ours. It teaches us to let go of good so God can give us better. And finally, and most importantly, waiting helps us become more like Jesus. The point in life is not to get somewhere or to get something The point in life is to become someone, to become like Jesus. And as we wait, that is one of the ways that God shapes us to become the people he's created us to be. When Israel escapes from slavery, they spend 40 years wandering through the desert trying to find the promised land. It's actually only a three-week journey, but it took them 40 years, probably because Moses was a man and he wouldn't stop and ask for directions. (laughs) But in the process, they learned about God's laws, They developed a system of government. They learned to trust on God. They learned who God was. God used that time in the desert to shape them to be the people he wanted them to be and give them the things they would need as a nation. Waiting helps us become the people that God created us to be. Eugene Peterson says that waiting doesn't diminish us any more than waiting diminishes a pregnant mother. We're enlarged by the process. Waiting helps us get closer to God. It connects us with his agenda, not ours. It teaches us to let go of good so he can give us better, and it helps us become more like Jesus. There's some good things about waiting. Now, I need to say, just to sort of clear up a little bit of misconception, I think when we think of waiting, we tend to think of it as just sort of passively sitting around, kind of twiddling our thumbs, waiting for something to happen. That is not biblical waiting. Biblical waiting is an active, eager, anticipatory process, not a passive one. When the disciples ask Jesus when he's going to set up his kingdom, he basically says, you're just going to have to wait for that. The times and seasons aren't for you to know, but here's what you can do. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes and you can be my witnesses. In other words, don't worry about when you're going to get what. When's this going to happen? When's that going to happen? Stop worrying about that. That's up to God. Simply do the things I've asked you to do. 
pray, read scripture, be in community so you can know me better. And build my kingdom in the world. And as you do those things, you'll get what you need when you need it. When I was single, I spent a lot of time waiting on God to show me who the right woman was. But I didn't just wait passively as if a wife was going to fall from the clouds. You know, there's a wife. I prayed and listened to God. I read scripture. I was in community. But most importantly, I did the things I knew that God had called me to do. I worked on my graduate studies, I taught, I did volunteer ministry in my church, tried to build a kingdom as much as I could, and as I was doing those things, just kind of as a byproduct, I happened to meet this really cute Chinese woman who thought I was the bomb, and I thought she was pretty cool too. We wait actively. We pray, we read scripture, we get in community, and we build the kingdom in whatever ways we can, and as we do those things, along the way, in the right time, God gives us what we need. One of the students I used to mentor has had a lifelong ambition to be a senior pastor of a large church, preferably before he's 40. It's a strange goal, but it's his. And his desires, there's a lot of good things in his desires, but they've been infected by sort of the successaholism that's part of our culture. He was a young man in a hurry as a consequence. When he got out of seminary, he desperately wanted to get a good first job to get his career going. And he ended up getting a job at a church in the beach, on the beach in Southern California. And even though it was tough duty, he decided surfers need Jesus too, so he'd suffer for the Lord there. There's just one problem. He'd been dating a woman on the East Coast. And he kind of liked her and thought it was time to get married. But she wasn't sure that she was yet ready to get married and move to California. She was from the East Coast, wasn't sure she wanted to go there. But he wanted a job and he wanted her, so he flew her out to California California showed her everything, tried to convince her to come out there, and it worked. She said, go ahead, take the job, and I'll move to California. So he took the job, and word spread throughout the whole church that they'd found their new youth pastor. A few days later, though, he started to think that he maybe made a mistake, that maybe he had put too much pressure on her, that maybe he'd sort of manipulated the situation, and it wasn't a real honest answer that she'd given him. And he called me up, and he said, I don't think I've treated her right. I think I've put a lot of pressure on her, and if we get married, the Bible says I'm supposed to love her the way Jesus loves the church. I don't think I've done that. And he said, I think I have to call this church back and tell them I can't come. I can't take the job, but it's going to be awkward because they've already told everyone I'm, I'm coming. And he said, but that would be all right if I did that, right, Scott? I mean, do people ever do that after they take a job in a church? And I said, pretty much no. It would be a little weird if you did it. And he said, well, I think i got to do it anyway, even if it hurts my career. Because this isn't about whether I marry her or not. This isn't about what pulpits I preach in and what pulpits I don't. This isn't about what steeples I climb and what steeples I don't climb. This is about what kind of man I'm going to be. Am I going to be the kind of man that can trust God and do the right thing and trust that he'll work it out? And am I going to be the kind of person that can serve someone other than myself? And he said, I want to be that kind of man. And it's not going to be enough to say I would have done it. I think I've actually got to do it, don't I, Scott? And I said, I have never been more proud of you than I am in this moment. And I think you're right. I think you need to go see about a girl. Career can wait. And as I said that, I knew that God could not have asked him to wait for anything more difficult than that. So he called the church back and he said, I can't come. I've got to go see about a girl. And they thought that was pretty cool. 
And as it turned out, they hadn't been able to get a hold of their second choice candidate anyway, so everything turned out okay, especially for the second choice candidate. And my friend moved to Atlanta where his girlfriend was, lived with some of his friends, got a temporary job at a church working with junior high students, a job he never wanted to have, but the only one he could get. But as time went on, the church kind of liked him and ended up offering him a permanent job as an assistant pastor of evangelism, a job he really likes. And then a little while later, he discovered that that church that he had turned down actually had some serious problems, and it would have been tough for him if he'd been there, so by waiting, he actually ended up with a better job. And the woman he waited for, she broke up with him and moved out of the country. (laughs) So now he's waiting on God for something else. (laughs) Kind of a mixed ending in the Hollywood version, or if I'd gotten this off the internet, he'd have gotten the girl too, but it's a true story. So he didn't. But here's what he does have. He got to know God a whole lot better and discovered that God was trustworthy. He got off his own agenda and got on to God's agenda, which is pretty much the most important job skill a pastor can have. He got a better job out of it. He learned to wait actively, not passively. He prayed, he invested in others, he built the kingdom. And God took care of him in the right time. And even though he's now waiting on God for a wife, he can wait with just a little bit more patience Because he's seen God come through for him. But most important of all, most important of all, he now knows that he is the kind of man who not only coulda, woulda, shoulda, but did do the right thing when God asked him to, trusting that God would make it right. He's become just a little bit more like Jesus in the process. And that's the most important part of waiting. You see, more important than the things we wait for is who we're becoming as we wait. More important than the things we are waiting for is who we're becoming as we wait. Are we becoming like Jesus? It's like how people used to refine metal. It was a very slow process. You had to heat the metal up, and as you did, the impurities would rise to the surface, and the refiner would skim them off. And you had to do it over and over again. There was a lot of waiting involved. And the refiner knew that he was done when he could see his reflection in the surface of the liquid metal. And that's what Jesus does with us as we wait. He skims off the impurities as he heats us up until the moment he sees his face reflected in our character. So how can you wait on God actively this Christmas season? Through prayer, scripture, community, building the kingdom? Maybe through simply practicing the discipline of waiting by choosing the longest line in the mall And using the extra time to pray. That's what I'm going to do this Advent. It's going to be hard, but I'm going to do it. Some of you will see me doing it, no doubt. And as you wait, know this, that you do not wait alone. Jesus is waiting with you, shaping you, molding you, refining you to become just like him through that process. The prophet Isaiah puts it this way. They that wait upon the Lord will renew their strength. They will rise up with wings like eagles. They will run and not be weary. They will walk and not faint. Lord, we are an impatient people that is part of an impatient culture. Lord, we confess that. And we ask that you would help us to wait. Wait actively. Wait by praying and seeking you. Wait by doing the things you've called us to do. Trusting that in your good time you'll give us what we need. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.